now we're recording, so I guess I'll do the intro and we'll go from there. Alrighty. Alright, so we're, we're going to do segment one will be uh, reviews that we wish we had done differently, yes? Mm-hmm. And then segment two will be our blockbuster discussion, since it is the summer and there's no actual blockbusters. Rip. <laughs> Rip. Alright. And three, two, one. Welcome, everybody, to episode five of the Snobcast. Once again, I'm joined by my much smarter co-host, Shay Simone. Say hi. Aw, get out of here. You're too sweet. I am just too sweet. That's true. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're here again. It's uh, episode five with your boy. Uh, we're going to talk about some reviews that we maybe definitely should have redone and were given a different grade after reassessment. And then, of course, since it is the summer, of love, and there are no blockbusters. We're going to talk about our favorite blockbusters of all times, some of the ones that we enjoy. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, any other notes, anything that you want to tell the people about before we get started, Shay? Um, no, I don't think so. I guess uh, that we're just planning on putting the podcast episodes on YouTube. So uh, I guess hang tight for that um, because I know a lot of people, a lot more people use YouTube rather than SoundCloud. So, well, it's actually uh, on Apple too. You know that, right? No, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. I guess so the that podcast. just like went over my head. Because I don't even like I don't even use iTunes anymore. And I um I sometimes use SoundCloud, but I'm always on YouTube. So yeah. uh for those of you who prefer that, uh we're gonna be uploading the episodes soon. So Yes, we will. That. Yes. yes. Uh, but if if you don't know, now you know that we are on the Apple podcast feed, so you can look us up on there as well as Stitcher soon. And uh, soon we're going to be on Spotify as soon as they approve my application and stop being a bunch of dicky bitches. <laughs> hey. Hey, Spotify. All right. So without further ado, let's get to segment one, some films that maybe we needed to reconsider. And of course, we're going to start with you, Shay. Oh, of course. Okay. So should I start with the films that I'm giving a lower grade or a higher grade? Let's let's start on a positive note and talk about films that you should have given a more uh, positive grade after reassessment. Okay, because that makes sense because I only, I think I only have two films out of okay. all the ones that I looked at because I went through all of my reviews that have, that I've ever done. It didn't take that long. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, actually, no. There's only one film that I would give a higher grade. Never mind. Um, mine, mine is extraordinarily difficult because I have so many. Yeah, dude. Like, how many do you have now? Uh, nah, 1,207. Ooh. I think I only have, like, that yeah, damn, dude. how many do I have? I'll have to look that up. But the one film that I am grading up is uh, The Book of Birdie. Which was yeah. November eighth, two thousand eighteen. Um, I ended up interviewing the director, and now we follow each other like on Instagram and Facebook, and that's so cool. Um, she does like storyboarding classes now, which is really cool. Um, and yeah, just like I've I've thought about the movie a lot since I've watched it, and I gave it a B minus um, when I first reviewed it, but now I think it kind of deserves a higher grade that doesn't involve a minus in it. So I'm thinking like mm -hmm. a, a B or a B plus just cause it's just kind of resonated with me. And I think it's, it's kind of improved like the longer I thought on it. And like, there are just moments where I'm just like, Oh yeah, that was really cool. I wish I, I had more of that in movies and stuff. 
Um, yeah, Book of Birdie is a, a new bee. Uh, <laughs> um, and then the rest of my films. Did you ever see Book of Birdie, Will? No, it, but, mm-hmm. you know, you kept talking about it. So I was like, this got to be good. Yeah, I actually really liked it. I really, yeah, really liked it. it. Really good. But, uh, you know, that's one of those times where I'm, I wish I had actually bothered to check it out the film. And mm-hmm. I just didn't. And that's on me. <laughs> yeah. Your fault. That is on me. That is totally my fault. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Uh, <laughs> so I guess I'll start with one. The, the only film I could find, because I only got to 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, going through the reviews, and the one film that I did notice that I gave like a D plus was Kate Barker Froyland's, uh song one starring Anne Hathaway. Um, oh. I gave it a D plus, but I actually bought the the, the Blu-ray for a dollar, and I rewatched it a few weeks ago, and it's pretty damn good. Uh, like, yeah, I enjoyed it. it so it not a this, D plus. No, I, I definitely would have reassessed it as maybe a C plus. Oh, dang. Yeah. Or, yeah, I probably would have reassessed it to a, at least a one whole grade higher because Anne Hathaway's given a really good performance and uh, Johnny Flynn's doing some singing and everybody's just in in it 100% and you can tell. And I really, after re- looking at it, Kate Barker-Froyland's direction is uh, what that film needed to be and I didn't understand that at the time. Um, okay, okay. I still it's also, have it's also short. Either. It's also really short. It's only like an hour, 26 minutes. So okay. it just sort of flies through. And you, when you have a movie that's 86 minutes and it, you know, it feels like 86 minutes, then that's good. Mm-hmm. So that would be my reassessment positive. Oh, trust me, though. I've got two more for negative. So let's, yeah. <laughs> let's hear right. what you've got for your first negative. All right. Um, and I'm looking it up right now. I only have mm-hmm. 135 reviews so far. Yeah, I, I went through 1,200, so. Yeah, <laughs> oh, my gosh, 1,200. But it says all. I can't tell. Wait, okay, it says my, oh, yeah, okay, so it is 135, which mm-hmm. isn't very much. <laughs> but at least it's a, it's over 100. And at least they're all better than mine. <laughs> Aw, come on. You never give yourself any credit, dude. Uh, dude, because uh, I don't deserve any. Oh. Humble. I'm only here, you know. You're humble. I like it. Yeah, my humility <laughs> is a curse, honestly. All right. So, humble. um, I'm just I have a a handful of films that I'm actually grading down. Um, I think most of them are due to the fact that they just kind of recessed in my memory, and like when I look at the movie, and I'm like, okay, I watched this movie. I took notes on it. And I don't remember shit about it, what my memories about it have worsened. It's like, okay, mm-mm. yeah. So I'm just going to go through them real quick um, from oldest to newest. The first one is Tully. Uh, yeah. That, yeah, Charlize Theron movie. Uh, Jason Reitman, in, too. Yeah, I saw that one. Yeah, back in August 19th, uh, 2018, directed by Jason Reitman and uh no one liked it. It kind of went under the radar. And I gave it B minus and I was thinking, I think, more about the themes and like what it was trying to call attention to and I appreciated that. But looking back on the movie now, it's just like it feels this is gonna sound mean, but it feels really inconsequential to me right now. I'm just like, eh, 
that was a movie. I could have not seen it and been totally okay. So I think I, I give it like a a C now. Yeah. Okay. So it's like barely passing. And then I also have Cargo, that one horrible Netflix movie uh, starring uh, The Hobbit. <laughs> Mar- Martin Freeman is in that one. Yeah, uh-huh. I, it's not great. Yeah, when I first saw it, I was like, I really don't like this movie. And I was bored to death, but I was kind of like grasping at straws. And I was like, the production value was there. But now I'm just like, I don't know. I can't really give any credit to this movie because I was so bored to death. I've already seen this kind of movie like a million times. Um, So I first gave it a D plus. And now I think it's down to like a D minus, if not like an F plus. Because I don't think... The child actors were fine, I think. Um, but you could tell, like, Martin Freeman was not trying. He just seemed, like, so tired and so bored. It's not, yeah. it's not even worth watching for the performances. Like, no one was really trying. I would agree with you there. I think a much better Martin Freeman sort of horror movie is Ghost Stories, which you should definitely check that one out instead. I should. I don't yeah, want to check that one out, but then it's just kind of, like, dissolved, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it just kind of My, stopped being a priority. It, it, it's understandable, but it is on Hulu if anybody wants to check it out. It's pretty good. I enjoyed it. Um, my two films are two films that I graded way too high, and then after rewatch, they're going to be on the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, so my first one comes from May second, two thousand and fourteen. Oh. And it is the Amazing Spider-Man two. What? I oh, gave you this rated film, it too high? I gave this film a B plus. <laughs> and anybody who's seen plus. it knows that this movie is garbage. Yeah. So I said I said in it it's not as good as Raimi's sequel and it's definitely ten minutes too long. No, it's about a half hour too long. Mm-hmm. Um and likewise just like just like the third uh Amazing Spider Man, whatever. Yeah. So it's over it, it it is an overstuffed mess. It's way too long. It's two and a half hours almost. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I gave it a B plus upon reassessment. That's a D. That's a D plus movie. That is that's a unfair. D plus movie. Personally, I give it a D. Actually, no, a D plus is fair because I think there is some rewatchability to it. The ending is good. The ending is cool with uh, Mary Jane or not Mary Jane, but Gwen Stacy. Gwen Stacy. Yeah. Rest in peace. Rest in pieces. Rest um, in Peter. Yeah, oh, she did. That was kind of fun. <laughs> Um, And then the most egregious thing on here that I found was uh, the David Ayers movie that I reviewed on March 27, 2014, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sam Worthington, called Sabotage. What? I have not heard of that. Do not see it. It is straight up trash. I gave it, and this is egregious, I gave it an A-. minus. An A-? minus. After reviewing, rewatching, and reassessing how my life goes, mm-hmm. that's an F movie. Whoa, that is fantastic. Why did you give it an A minus before? At the time, it, it, it just sort of—I thought that it did a great job of uh, painting a portrait of paranoia and trust. And but in reality, it was all being masked over by—I don't know—just this film of Ayers heavily violent films and uh, right after that he did Suicide Squad and then I I, I realized my the error in my ways (laughs) 
There you go. That but he was coming like... off of he was coming off of uh, end of watch, so it was like oh end of watch is great, you know. Yeah. But what happened this to Sam is... Worthington? Well, people thought he was going to be good, and then you know he doesn't have any charisma, so. Yeah. I mean, as far as I can remember, Avatar was pretty much the only thing I ever saw him in. Clash of the Titans, Man on Ledge. Nope. Um, nope. None of those are any good, though. So. <laughs> he's also he's also in the Jennifer Aniston film Cake. Oh, is he? Yeah, it, but he's a charisma vacuum, so you wouldn't know. <laughs> a charisma vacuum. And then he did a film with Netflix last year, which is terrible, also. So. Oh. Uh... I wonder, I wonder, like, what's up with him. I heard, like, there was some controversy with him, like, starting a fight in bars or something about him being an alcoholic or something. So maybe that might have something to do with it. I don't know. I'm looking into this now that you mention it because I need to find yeah. out. I think, I don't know. I can't say what anyone is going through, but oh. maybe, he's not, maybe he's not having such a good time. Oh, he was also in uh, The Shack. You want to talk about pandering bullshit. The Shack? Is that that one religious yep. movie? Mm-hmm. It's like, I have no idea where to place that movie. I do, in the garbage can. <laughs> like, so, is it like a horror movie for religious people or something? I don't know. Sam Worthington <laughs> has been arrested in New York for punching a photographer after the man kicked Worthington's girlfriend in the shin. Oh, well, that's fair enough. Yeah. Good for, him. Right. Good for him. Good for him. Defending yeah. defending his lady's honor. Good for him. Yes. <laughs> uh, d- don't see sabotage. It's it's trash. Uh, what the hell I was thinking with that? I'm honestly ashamed of myself. Oh. <laughs> you repent. Uh, I repent my sins for my sins. That was a terrible <laughs> film. Um, but the thing was, I think what it was, I got caught up in the fact that I was at a critic screening for it, and it was one of the first times I had gotten invited. Ah, okay. I think maybe that's what happened. Um, yeah. Maybe you were just, that. like, in the in the mood or whatever, and it tickled your fancy. There are, several, there are several times when that happened, uh, you know, in that time period. Uh, like mm-hmm. the Kevin Costner film, Three Days to Kill, which is definitely a solid C-minus movie. I think I did give it a B plus, which that's not that egregious, but uh, yeah. and it's still not that bad a film. But I, I gave it a higher grade than I should have because I was at a cream screening. And I think that the bright lights and the big city got to me when I was, <laughs> or, or, you know, early on doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because both of those reviews actually predate the official launch of the website. This is back when I was blogging. Yeah. Aww. That's so crazy. Yeah, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you were writing, when you started writing reviews, I was like, a sophomore in high school. Exactly. I'm no, I think I was a man. freshman. <laughs> I'm an old man, so that's all that needs to be said about that. Um, but I, you know, we've been doing this a long time, so when I when I say stuff, it, it did come from, you know, experience. Yeah, your experience. Yeah, Not- I'm. No, I'm still old. But it's fine. Um, it's it's all good. Uh, now. What I think is interesting is that you have a, such a different perspective because you have only like you, you have like 140 reviews under your belt now. What, yeah. How do you think that you've changed in your perspective on how you look at film from you know, you know your first one to now? It's really interesting because when I I I didn't really I, know, I guess I kind of like was warming up to film criticism kind of long before the point that I started writing for film snobs. 
mm-hmm. um, because I, I watched a lot of YouTube film criticism um, ever since I was like in middle school and I thought it was really interesting and I didn't know that you could look at films that in that light. But mm-hmm. what came with that era was a lot of colorful language in order to stand out, you know? Like back mm-hmm. when YouTube was way edgier and you were kind of allowed to be mean about stuff or whatever. So I think I kind of took that perspective in. I wouldn't say that I was mean necessarily. I was just very intensely critical when I felt like I could get away with it. And I still do that. And I think a lot of critics do that because it it makes it more fun when you're writing the review. But I think I definitely have a different perspective, um, especially when it comes to the like the personal experience that I've had when reviewing films and then like being confronted on it or also the fact that I'm also working on the other side of film criticism which is film production so that also comes into play I think nowadays um, I don't want to say that I'm nicer because I still have you know similar criteria for grading but I think I'm a lot more understanding when it comes to production. So unless like a movie is just flat out like offensively bad, then I won't really call it out as much for that. I think it's just been kind of trying to step, take a step back and be more constructive than just critical. And I think that's how I've kind of been evolving, especially when looking back at my older works and stuff. That's that's a really good perspective on that. And I, 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 most people would say that you that I'm the nicer of the two. So, uh, that's, <laughs> you know, funny that you think you're getting nicer. <laughs> I would say that you're becoming more more of a more pragmatic like me. I'm I'm much very much a pragmatist when it comes to film. I'm very you know linear. Do I like it or do I not like it? Period. End yeah. of story. Um, I don't really put too much into the emotional side of it unless it really does get me. Mm-hmm. Which is not that not that difficult. Uh, to, well, no, I'm sorry. It's increasingly difficult to do because I'm becoming just a jaded old guy. <laughs> um, but it's it, it's one of those things. It's so funny when I look back at my early stuff and I'm like, man, I I just didn't understand how to explain stuff. You know, now yeah. I feel like I've got more weapons in the in the toolbox that I can explain and compare. Yeah, uh, film, films to each other, and you'll notice that now I don't get. I don't get nearly the backlash that I used to when I first started. So no one ever yeah. calls me out on my shit because they're like, if they know if I if they call me out on my shit, I'm just gonna laugh it off because I don't care what they think. Yeah, <laughs> but that's an I interesting point that you bring up. Is like the older you you get, I don't know. I feel like the older I get, like I don't know. Back when I was younger, when I started out, I think it was like two years ago, almost three years, maybe. Yeah. I was like. I thought I was like tough shit or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. I like, I wanted to start easy, but at the same time, I'm like, I'm a critic and, and, uh, I have to like really point out like all the shit that's going on and this can never happen again and da, 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 da. But like, um, just in the past few years, I feel like it's not that, you know what I do? I feel like I'm kind of getting softer and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Like, I still am really hard when it comes to criteria, but when it comes to presenting that information, I'm just like, I'm so sorry that this didn't work out for you. Maybe next time you'll do better. <laughs> um, Actually, it's funny that you say that because your, la- your last review is a perfect example of that. Yeah. 
Exactly. You gave that film a glowing recommendation, but still a C plus. Yep. Yep. I Which don't know. is really I think, uh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think a film can be really. I don't know. I pointed it out in my review, but like, I I feel like films can be full of mistakes and full of hardship and misfires or whatever, but it can still be, you know, watchable content. And I think that's important. Um, you know, it's also like crazy world, you know, it's not like Christopher Nolan, Nolan levels of filmmaking. It's just these guys filming in their backyard basically. And it's the most entertaining thing in the world. And that to me sometimes is more valuable in filmmaking than anything technical. Um, and I think I, I have been thinking about that more and more. So I don't know. I think I am getting a little soft. We'll see. <laughs> it's never a bad thing though, to become more, you know, uh, less edgelord and more pragmatic and, 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 and logical. You know? Yeah, I definitely want to stay logical and stay pragmatic and stay just straightforward. You know, this is what it needed to be improved. This is what needed to be improved upon, yada, yada, yada. But I think I'm learning more and more as far as communication goes that uh, film, criti film criticism isn't just entertainment in itself. It's also a form of communication. Um, and what yeah, it's... Yeah, it is at its core critiquing. You're trying to make someone a better filmmaker through your opinions and your experiences with different different films. And I think that's yeah. the best way to look at it. Yeah, exactly. And it's like um, also that Pauline Kael documentary that I watched, that was also very impactful for me in looking at film criticism. We, other than, you know, numbers, money, the audience or whatever, we help shape the film industry and what films are being made so that's really that's really interesting and i think my scope in understanding that and taking that and in stride while i'm writing uh has become more and more prevalent in my brain yeah and, and i think that that's a good way to be you should always be evolving as a writer you should always be evolving as, as a film watcher yeah um, that's why i try to watch as many different kinds of films as possible Mm -hmm. I think that that's something that most people don't want to do is branch out with their uh, experiences and what they're doing. And, uh, you know, if you look at some of these people, like they're, they're, they're sticking to superhero movies and those things are the greatest things ever. But I, my opinion on them has definitely hardened over the yeah. last years, a few years. I'm just sick of them. <laughs> yeah, for you real. Know? Um. I'm just, I'm tired of this formula, this formulaic bullshit. And mm -hmm. I think that that's where, that's where my opinions on these things have changed. Yes. Yeah. I'm a lot harder on them. Like, I hated the last two Avenger movies and people screamed at me like I was a <laughs> moron. Yeah, I feel that. I was, uh, uh, I, we had another podcast in college that kind of sputtered and died, which made me sad because I had a lot of fun on it. But um, we were having like this two-hour-long conversation, and it ended up being about Infinity War and superhero movies and how much they love them and everything. And that's just like a really emotional avenue for people, um, a lot like how back in the day Harry Potter was, and before that it was Lord of the Rings or whatever. Yeah, I don't know anything about. In Harry my Potter, opinion, yeah. I think they're getting progressively worse. <laughs> These like yeah. 
huge trilogies or series that people are attentive to or whatever. But I think, well, like you know, said, it's a strong the, suit. The series that you just named did the opposite, though. They got stronger as they went along. Lord of the Rings got stronger as it went on. Yeah. And Harry Potter, apparently, I've never seen them. I don't know. Got oh, better. They, def- they definitely did. Yeah. See, so there you go. Shout out to Danny, Danny Radcliffe. What hey. Hashtag fuck turf. Joan K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling. Hashtag uh, we got to hang out again. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Did you hear? Okay, so you do you know all the tea about J.K. Rowling? The fact that she's transphobic, yeah. Yes. Okay, exactly. <laughs> so now people are having a conversation whether it's, you know, it's appropriate or not to still appreciate Harry Potter. And I'm just like. Here's my thing. Okay. I never appreciated Harry Potter to begin with, so I don't care. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> I don't care. So. Yeah. I think uh, it's still all right to enjoy the movies. Well, I think so long as you're yeah. just not, like, giving her any credit anymore for the work she's done. Stop buying them. Stop buying exactly. them. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. I'm pirate promoting them, yeah. you to them. That's because what I do whenever I watch a trans- Roman movie. <laughs> right? Same thing with Woody Allen. Yeah. I mean, it's I hard, though. It's harder to put the blame on movies or people who make the movies, though, because it's not just, like, one person. It's, like, a million people. Right. But it's still like, eh, you know, I'm just going to take this in stride and separate it from the context as needed, you know. You're separating the art from the artist. You have to do that in order to succeed in exactly. life. Exactly. There are bad so, people like, everywhere. Yeah, exactly. And, like, ev- anyone in Hollywood, you know, you don't know them personally. You can learn as much as you do about them, but you don't know them in person. So they could be any type of person. So, yeah, like you said, it's just like that kind of mindset death of the author you just got to look at their work in isolation but um going back to the point that you said before I want to touch on that um I think that's definitely an advantage that we have in our outlet is our ability to take in any kind of movie and be able to look at it from the same you know critical point like I could watch a horror movie a documentary a romantic comedy and come from the same place in each one. But like you said, like not every outlet is like that. Sometimes there are people who are just like, no, I don't fuck with horror movies, but I'm still a film critic. So I think well, that's like an advantage that, that we have. The there are sites mm. that do the opposite that are strictly horror films or genre films. And then when you throw in a period drama or you throw in a romantic comedy, they don't have that same perspective. Yeah. Which is also fine, you know, like niche um, yeah. criticism or whatever. But I think in our case, that definitely stands as an advantage for us. And I think growing with this side and stuff, like I want to be working with this forever because I enjoy it so much. And I I enjoy talking about film because it's always changing. Um, Filmmaking is always changing. So, you know, it's not like we're ever going to stop talking about it anyway. The distribution of film has changed immensely this year. Oh, yeah. It's so funny because like, the conversation that we're going to have after this, you know, blockbusters, it's like, why aren't people, not people, but like studios and distributors moving more towards streaming um, in these cases? They are, but like in the case of, say, like movies like uh, Wonder Woman or I don't fucking know. Actually, Trolls 2 is on streaming. It's on Hulu, I think. 
No, it, but, it was on VOD, though, first, and it made a shit ton of money. Yeah, which, good for them, you know, they figured it out, but not everyone does. You know, it's like that whole thing when Roma was a big deal, but it was on Netflix, so they were like, can we nominate this for the Oscar or not? Um, for whatever reason, they decided to discriminate against streaming sites, so I think it is important to look at and interesting to consider how, like you said, distribution is changing to the the digital frontier or so. That well, I'm glad you mentioned Roma because that that's another that's a film that gives, uh, points to another thing too, and that's the globalization of film. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you look at the last, I think it's six, seven best uh, best directors. Only one of them is American. Really? Let's go back in time to this year. Bong Joon Ho's mm-hmm. Korean, yes. Yeah. The previous year was Alfonso Cuarón for Roma, right? Mm-hmm. Before that it was Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of Water. Yeah, you're right. I love yeah. that. Yeah, and so the only person, I believe the uh, last American to win Best Director was Damien Chazelle for La La Land. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it here. Hold on, I have it in front of me. Yeah, so 2019, <laughs> Bong Joon-ho, Korean. Alfonso mm-hmm. Cuarón, Roma, Mexican. Guillermo del Toro, Shape of Water, Mexican. Damien mm-hmm. Chazelle, La La Land, American. Alejandro Enrique, two times in a row for The Revenant and Birdman. Yeah. Then Alfonso Cuarón. Then Ang Lee. For Brokeback? For Lewis of Pie. Then Michael Havasnavicius for The Artist. Michel Havasnavicius for uh, The Artist, who's French. So mm-hmm. you have to go all the way to back to 2010 and 2014. So only two times out of the 10 times last decade was the director who won Best Director American. Yeah. Wow. That, that really kind of crazy. puts it in perspective, especially when considering how much apparent controversy there was when Parasite won Best Picture. I mean, I had absolutely no problem with it. I think... Nope. Good films can come from anywhere, and we shouldn't just be focusing on America and yeah. our, you know, whatever we have going on here. But, yeah, that's a wonderful point. That yeah. is beautiful. I love that. Thank you. I think the globalization of film is both important and and it's necessary now. Yeah. Um, and, it, and, and what I love. It says a lot about whoever stands against, at the time, who stood against Parasite winning Best Picture or even being nominated. Because there were a lot of people, for whatever reason, uh, I guess it was, you know, racism, pretty much. Because like you said, like, so many foreign directors' pictures have won Best Picture or one Best Director or whatever. And then Parasite was the one who happened to catch all the flack for that. It's like, "Mm." you know, it kind of makes me think that if you're just like, against Parasite winning Best Picture just because it's a South Korean film, that maybe that is just pretty much blatant racism. <laughs> so, the Director Bong Director Bong said something, and he's right about this. If, mm. if, if the only thing stopping you from watching films from different countries is the subtitles, uh, then we have a problem, because the, there's, there's stories to be told, and in different ways all over the world. You know what I mean? Absolutely. They may be they may be the same stories, but being told from a different perspective really makes a difference. 
Um, look at the look at the Sundance that we were at. The 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 film that won both of the top prizes was the same film, and it was Minari, which is a yeah. American film directed by a Korean director about a Korean family that's mostly in Korean. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this is just proof that uh, you know these things can happen. Likewise, though, uh, to your point about streaming services, um, what streaming services can do is give a film guaranteed money. Mm-hmm. And look no further than the biggest acquisition from that tw- the 2020 Sundance Film Festival, a film that just came out this week, Palm Springs. Yeah. I got to show Landon that. He's going to love it. He's going to love it. It's $5 million budget, sold in Sundance for $16 million. They tripled their money. And now they don't have to worry about the money being tripled. It's already tripled. Yeah. And everyone can see this movie. Everyone mm-hmm. can see this movie. And they should. Yeah. Absolutely. Like coming from because someone who's not like a huge fan of romantic comedies. The dancing um, I loved it. It's one of my favorite romantic comedies now. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, it's a top tier rom-com. It's a top tier uh, just experience at the movies. I've never seen a group of, of critics laugh that hard all at the same time. Yeah. And I wasn't annoyed by it. It wasn't just like easy, easy shots, but like comedy or whatever, like low hanging fruit kind of comedy. There was like such like huge setup in that movie. And like all the emotional turns and twists and stuff got to me. And I was legitimately like, I don't know, it's legitimately good filmmaking. And I want to watch it again. I just love the the fact that it, it does the romance well. It does the existentialism of mm-hmm. the story that it's presenting so well. And everything is just wrapped up in this neon-colored mess of beauty, which is ironic because Neon is the company that picked it up and sold it, hey. and put it on Hulu. Um, good for them. They got their first Oscar, too, this year with Parasite. Um, yeah. But it's just so interesting to me that uh, this film made triple its money back, and it deserves to. And if you haven't seen that, it's on Hulu right now. Do it. Don't laugh your ass off. You might even cry. The Absolutely. Um, but now let's get to our second segment because that was a damn good discussion on, on film right there mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, about just how we look at things. This one's a little bit more fun. This is a, our summer blockbuster discussion. And what we did is we took four films that could be seen as summer blockbusters. That's from the beginning of May to the end of July. And um, we're going to talk about them. I'm going to present you with – you're going to present me with your pick, and I'll give them the necessary details, the release date, the budget, and the uh, – Gross adjusted for inflation. All right, all right. Now, now, good. now and then you'll you'll tell me why it's one of your favorite uh, blockbusters. All right. Okay. So, um, what was your first pick? Okay. Uh, okay. So my first pick is a two and one. All right. And uh, no one judge me because they were all blockbusters. I was looking through. The IMDb list, I looked through the AMC list, Rotten Tomatoes, everything I could find on summer blockbusters just to have a comprehensive, um, you know, range to look at. And I was like, oh, Jesus. (laughs) The only films that I have included are really just films that are literally from my childhood and I would watch again. So this is more me basing off of rewatchability than anything else. Um, so no one judge me is what I'm saying. My first two films are the first two Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Spider-Man yeah. 1, which is May 3rd, 2002. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, budget of 139 million made 825 million. And uh-huh. Spider-Man 2, June 30th, 2004, $200 million budget, $789 million box office. That's a lot of fucking money. Yay. Um, these are great think, movies, though. Yeah, I still stand that the Sam Raimi movies, at least the first two, are still the best Spider- live-action Spider-Man movies. I have not Num- seen the first um, Tom Holland Spider-Man movie, so maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know. But otherwise, like, in my opinion, they are the best because they're just, like, entertaining and they exist in kind of their own universe. I don't know. They feel kind of separated from the Marvel universe itself. Um, so Sam Raimi literally just does whatever he wants. And I actually did not like these movies when I was a kid. But, like, growing up as an adult, I'm just like, these movies are hilarious and, like, so well filmed. And I love the cast. They do so well. And there's, like, <laughs> there are so many memes that have come from the Spider-Man movies that now I have, like, nothing but joy when I think about them. So that's my reasoning. No, these are actually great, legitimately great films. I, I don't blame you. Yeah. Um, especially the second Spider-Man. The Spider-Man 2 is not just one of the best uh, the best Spider-Man movie of all time, but it might be one of the best superhero movies of all time. I agree. Like, the first one had, like, Go- the Green Goblin, which is fantastic, but a lot of it is just, like, origin story and setup. But the second one, it's, like, I don't know if it's necessarily a unique storyline for a superhero movie, but it's, like, not anything that I've really seen before as far as I can think of. And it's kind of weird because, basically, Spider-Man goes impotent and he needs to find his inspiration. And then you also have Dr. Ock. And it's so cool. <laughs> I don't know. Just so much of it is iconic that I just, like, I had to include it on my blockbuster list. And that's about yeah. it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Alfred Molina's portrayal of Dr. Ock is, is amazing. And what's, what's great about it is you get that he's not a bad guy. Yeah. He's just, like, he's, it's kind of, he's kind of a dementia patient. Only instead of, like, Getting all his shit, he just becomes evil. He just becomes super Very angry mechanical. at the death of his wife, yeah. Yeah. And uh, you talk about iconic, that cafe scene is iconic. Yeah. Where Dr. Octopus pushes the car through the window. Oh my god, that and, shot. And, yeah, that shot. Yeah. Oh. Or, or the shot of him stopping the train where he's in front of it with his webbing, trying to stop yes. the train. That's iconic. <laughs> it just is. These are he iconic made scenes. so many poop jokes when he does the faces, though. But I love, like, I love how much everyone in the cast is always into, like, their role and stuff. Tobey Maguire fucking gives it his all. He oh, like, yeah. is he's, fucking crying all the time. And he's, he's 100% like, in it. Crying, and I love it. He's 100% in it. He's, and it's just, it's a great movie. And those are, those are excellent choices. I think that the, the Spider-Man 2 set a precedent for the modern uh, summer mm-hmm. blockbuster in that it came out at the right time. It the original Spider-Man came out at the right time. It made a sh- crap ton of money. I mean, think about this: eight hundred twenty-five million in a one on a one hundred thirty-nine million dollar game. Mm-hmm. It made that almost eight times its money back. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Sony, Sony just hand over fist making money on those things, and I think that it set a precedent that was really uh, hard to match for a lot of films. And I think that you wouldn't have your Marvel Cinematic Universe without the Sam Raimi films. Mm-hmm. Also, exactly. Randy Macho Man, Randy Macho Man Savage is bone song. Let's go. Yeah. Oh, Randy. Oh, give it to me all day. <laughs> all right. Uh, what is what is your first pick? 
My first, I went chronologically uh, with my picks. So my first pick came out May 25th, 1979, and made $203 million on an $11 million budget adjusted for inflation. That's $722 million on a $31 million budget. And it's Ridley Scott's Alien. Woo! Uh, Alien is yeah. one of the best movies of all time. It just is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not even going to contest that. And I knew it was on the list. I knew that it was a blockbuster, but I had a feeling that you were going to choose it. So I was like, oh, eh, I could live with that. Right. <laughs> I'm looking at my copy of it right now, and I want to watch it after we're done. Uh, H.R. Geiger's character design and the wonderful production design of every single thing in this movie makes it one of the best movies of all time mm-hmm. and one of one of the best blockbusters of all time because it made eight, it made seven times its budget back, almost ten times its budget back. Is that about yeah. right? Yeah. Like, it made so much money and it deserves every bit of it because when you watch Alien, you, you just get this, this feeling of suspense when you're on the, 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 the Nostromo that you just can't get in, in, in most other movies, you know? Yeah. It is just, I don't know, I think it's one of the first in like in-space, outer space movies that are legitimately creepy, if not one of the creepiest. And uh, I'm a person where it's really hard to creep me out, um, especially because, like, I'm so into, like, the practical effects and stuff and mainly the the production of how it was made. But it's just, like, it's so fascinating, like you said, to look at the production design, the character design, of course, is absolutely iconic. It's absolutely irreplaceable. Like, that, there is so much history in film and outside of film and just, like, culture in general that originates from that film. And that's pretty epic. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it changed the game as far as sci-fi because previous to this two years ago, the only sci-fi we really had that was doing anything was the original Star Wars in 77. Yeah. Um, that was one of those where they're like, oh, you can do that? Well, really, Scott said, no, you can do whatever you want with this. Mm-hmm. I mean, that chestburster scene is one of the top ten greatest scenes in film history. Oh my God! Yes, I completely stand that. Rip, rest in peace, John Hurt in the movie. John Hurt, <laughs> and in real life. And in real life, just amazing. And in fact, yeah. it's so good. They made a documentary that started out as just about that scene, mm-hmm. which we saw last oh, year. Oh really? Um, I did not Francesca. get to see it, unfortunately. Well, really we saw it at Fantastic Fest, uh, and it was pretty okay. It was okay. Well, it's something. Yeah, yeah, it was it was good, and I enjoyed it. And like I said, this movie is what is that? Forty one years old now, and it still holds up. It is. Oh my god, that's yeah. so crazy. Forty one years old uh, officially now, because past May twenty fifth, and it just holds on so well, and it deserves the credit for that because that is not an easy task to to, to pull forward when you're yeah. you know that old. Um, yeah. That, uh, it's just a great movie. I'll give you my second pick, too, since you did, too. Yeah. Because um, I think that was a great... I just, I just love Alien. It's just so good. Um, it is. It's amazing. My second, my second pick came out July 3rd, 1985. Um, and adjusted for inflation, it made $932 million on, on a $45 million budget. It is the original okay. Back Back to the Future. Damn. That's a lot yeah. of coins. That's a lot of money in 1985. <laughs> That's yeah. so much money. 
Like, but honestly, it deserved it because it's such a great movie. Yeah, it's iconic. What I love is you picked a, a movie and a sequel. I picked two movies that have sequels. Yep, that is true. Multiple sequels. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense, though. I guess, like, now that I think about it, all of the movies on my list right now, they are all part of franchises. Yes. So I guess that only makes sense when your movie is as successful as the R, the blockbusters are like, oh, people like them. We got to, we got to get that coin. Let's go milk that cow. Cash. <laughs> that makes sense. Literally, it's, Back to the Future is one of those, uh, and, and I'm sure you've heard this, along with Casablanca, Black to the Future has one of those scripts that's nearly flawless. Hmm. Interesting. So, have you taken a screenwriting course yet? Oh, yeah. Well, I've been screenwriting since I was um, 13 right. years old. Well, so. if you take a screenwriting course, a lot of the times they'll teach you Back to the Future and Casablanca. Interesting. Those are yeah, both, well, I love Back to the Future. Casablanca, I just thought, was okay, but that was more on, um, like, conceptual reasons rather than just writing. But, yeah, yeah. I, can, I can go along with that. For but me, I mean, it's just, like, it, oh, an overall really convincing movie back to the future in its casting and its acting the production design is immaculate you know and yeah. it's just funny it's funny and it's fun and it's kind of kooky it's like oh, yeah. he's his mom is attracted to him to marty mcfly and you're just like oh god <laughs> that's it's awkward like, like, one of the main conflicts for the film for me is just like Straight up Marty McFly trying to get his mom to fall in love with his dad and not him. Like, yeah. that's just crazy. <laughs> yeah. And for me, like, I love uh, that Johnny B. Good scene is iconic to me. Yeah. Where he just starts playing it and he's like, oh, you guys aren't ready for this. Your kids are going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, there's so many good scenes where, where uh, when they're in the parking lot of the Twin Pines Mall. <laughs> it's just iconic scene after iconic scene, you know? Yeah. And I think that when if I were a kid in 1985, I would be obsessed with this movie. Yeah. Absolutely. My buddy, my buddy Rob, he it's his favorite movie of all time. And uh, I, I, I just think he's not wrong for having that opinion because it's, it's a great movie. It's so much fun. Like, yeah. Doc it Brown is. is just so cool. It's so mm-hmm. fun. And yeah. uh, just the whole, like accidental I don't know what you'd call it accidental what is it when you uh, oh accidental incest angle <laughs> that's in the film uh, is what I think is funny it makes me laugh because it's like yeah. really? alright well you know yeah. uh, who who would have the balls enough to, to put that in the script you know 80s filmmakers yeah, well, Robert Zemeckis was probably on some heavy cocaine when he when he suggested. <laughs> you think so? Well, because I think it's so funny because I've never I've been a huge Zemeckis fan. I just find that most of his films are very um, sentimental, not even sentimental, mm. uh, cheesy, <laughs> wishy washy. Yeah, that's, that's definitely more the connotation. Yeah, um, like Forrest, I can definitely. The same reason I don't like Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump is too meh for me, you know. Honestly, Vanilla. that's fair. It's kind of a weak movie. Like it, it's yeah. very well delivered, but in its themes and concepts, like it just kind of is all over the place. So I can I can yeah. see you on that. And then his later works, like um, 
Polar Wait, Express. Welcome to Marwin. Polar oh, Express what? also. What I a think bad Welcome movie. to Marwin is probably, I don't know, I, I'm not an expert on his filmography or anything, but I think Welcome to Marwin is definitely a low point. Yeah, it's a very bad movie. It's, I'm it's like, why does it even need to be made into a, a fictional adaptation anyway? The documentary was perfect. Yeah, why do you need to touch it? Yeah. And like, just, I don't know, make coin off of this man's mental illness without representing it correctly. Yeah. It gets uh, I thought that the, the documentary, uh, uh, what is it called? Marvin Call? Is yeah. Totally fine. It's totally fine. Um, yeah. But I think that lately he's just been making movies that aren't great, you know? Yeah. Allied wasn't good. Uh, you know, The Walk wasn't oh. great. Uh, Flight wasn't great. Welcome to Marwin's terrible. Mm-hmm. Beowulf, Polar Express, he hasn't made a really good film in 20 years. Yeah. To be fair, like, he has made, you know, a lot of incredible staples in film yeah. history, like, you know, whether you like it or not, Forrest Gump has made a large impact on film mm-hmm. history. Personally, um, Polar Express was fine. It's like, Cast okay, away. when you're a child. Cast Away is one of uh, my favorite movies as a, an adolescent, like coming into the mm-hmm. film world, you know, and looking at it from a, a broader scope, I guess. Uh, Cast Away definitely made an impact on me and how I watch movies and stuff. I think it's a really good movie. I, I love think it's what lies best movie, honestly. Yeah, I love what lies beneath. Yeah. You know? Huh? I love what lies beneath in contact too. Those are both great. I haven't seen that one. Oh, what lies beneath? It's great. Oh, I should see it's it. Like then. A, yeah, it's like a murder mystery thriller with uh, Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer. It's great. Oh shit! No, I gotta see that. Okay. Yeah, it's it's mom and dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then cast and contact is great too, you know. Yeah. Death becomes her. I thought contact was kind of um, <clears throat> I thought that was kind of off, like thematically uh, like for me. Yeah, no, I get it. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like also death. Technic- oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say death becomes her is also really really fun. Oh yeah, God, he did that. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie in the longest time. You, you know what else he made? Hmm. Frank Roger in it. <gasps> I completely forgot. You know, yeah. which is sad because like Robert Zemeckis has made so like he's made some really good movies. Who Frank Roger Rabbit is a pretty good movie, but like his name is kind of like tarnished now. Yeah, because he's made bad of, movie after bad movie. Yeah. Oh man, I kind of feel you know sorry about it, but also not. Just like yeah. I don't, I, he, I don't really think of him anymore. He also, yeah. um, he didn't direct, but he also produced or helped produce uh, Monster House, which is another kid's movie that uses motion capture. But instead of going for, you know, the realistic look, it's more, it's a lot more stylized and more cartoony or whatever. I really like that one. I feel like he had a big hand in that one. And I it actually works. really liked Beowulf. Beow, Beowulf. Beowulf. I didn't. I saw that in the theater. I, I didn't like it. I don't think it's a. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just a really entertaining movie, and I was laughing a lot while I was watching it. But it's also just like so pulpy and weird looking. It's like you're watching this really weird long cut scene. 
I don't yeah. know. I like shit like that because it's, it's entertaining. And it was no, also, like, it. really gay, and I love that. <laughs> it was very LGBTQ. Yeah, Anthony Hopkins was just like, do you want some mead? I'm like, yes, get that mead, boy. <laughs> I totally <laughs> thought he said, I totally, I misheard and totally thought Anthony Hopkins was asking Beowulf if he wanted his meat. And I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) What the hell's wrong with you? I don't know. That's just like where my mind goes. (laughs) I guess it's it's merely Freudian, but I loved it. But yeah, back back to Back to the Future. That's a good pick. It's a great pick. It's a great movie. I I love it. What about, what's your third pick? Okay. <laughs> like, this whole list, I feel like, could very well be from someone who doesn't have a deep understanding of film and has been in film criticism, and that, like, it kind of, like, shakes me up. But my next pick is Shrek. Not just the first Shrek. Well, not just. I'm mostly picking Shrek 2 because it's, like, the best Shrek. Um, oh. Yeah. I mean, Shrek was in my childhood, and for whatever reason, it's really involved in my adulthood because of meme culture. But not just that. I think it's a really rewatchable and really memorable film for the most part. Um, when you hear the stats on this thing, you're not going to leave it. Huh? Oh, what? You're not tell gonna me, be- tell me, tell me. So it came out May 14th, 2004, literally a month before the uh, Spider-Man 2. Its mm-hmm. budget was $125 million. Would you like mm-hmm. to know how much money Shrek 2 made? Yes, please. Tell me. $919.8 million. <laughs> Yay. Holy crap. Good for Shrek. <laughs> now, did you know that there's a connection between Spider-Man 2 and Shrek 2? Which came out a month, uh, besides the fact that they came out a month between each other? What kind of connection? Okay, just tell me. It's the soundtrack. They both have a song, song on their soundtrack by the same band. Ooh. So, in Shrek 2, uh, the song As Lovers Go mm-hmm. is by Dashboard Confessional. The oh. premiere song for Spider-Man 2 is Vindicated, also mm-hmm. written and sung by Dashboard Confessional. Wow, that's hilarious. And I love Dashboard Confessional, for the record, guys. Beautiful band. Love them. I guess um, Spider-Man 2 and Shrek 2 are just in my uh, my DNA, I guess. Yeah, I just love the soundtrack for Shrek 2. I think it's so good. Yeah. It was just, like, such a huge part of my formative yeah. years. And I would I watched it so much without even thinking about it. I was just like, oh, I want to watch a movie. I'll just put on Shrek and for no reason. And now There's- it's just like... It's like it's so memorable and kind of just off the wall, and everyone knows yeah. Shrek. Everyone knows what Shrek is, so I don't really need to say anything on it. It's a great movie, and honestly, I think I think you're right on that. That Shrek Two is the better of the Shrek movies, and and that's saying something because the first one is really good. <laughs> the first one is really good, but Shrek Two just kind of puts a little more like oomph into it, and I don't know well, why, but I feel like I know the reason because I don't know, like the soundtrack makes it like a lot pulpier and a lot more involved in culture and the culture references for yeah. some reason worked for me as a kid, but also didn't. I don't know. Also, you can't beat giant Gingy. Like, 
the the answer to why it's the best Shrek movie is because it introduces the best character in the Shrek universe. Puss in Boots. Boots in Boots. She's the, I actually she's the really like the Puss in Boots movie. <laughs> it's not bad, yeah. Uh, yeah. But no, he's the best character in this entire universe. And period, end of story. Antonio Banderas is the man. He is the man. He is the a man. man. <laughs> Especially when he gets, hello, my name is Boots. Boom. Other one he does is cute eyes. I think everyone does. Everyone. That's does. just the point. Yeah. That's Close the point. Boots is just like a subversion of your expectations. Yeah. There's so many good songs. I'm looking at the soundtrack right now. Accidentally in Love by Counting Crows is good. You know. Yeah. I always uh, think about that song and that montage, and that reminds me of me and my boyfriend. I'm Shrek in that situation. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, First of all, like, I how are you so Shrek? Hard. I don't want to talk. <laughs> because he's like, he's the Fiona to my Shrek, you know? You know? He is the Fiona to my Shrek. Period. I've seen Landon. He's pretty but much you get, it, you get it. He's, I mean, he, he's beautiful. He's gorgeous. He's pretty, <laughs> he's pretty much a Fiona. That's true. Yeah. But that's yeah, another point much. is like, as an adult, I don't know. I like relate to it now, which is so weird. I never thought well I could relate to Shrek before. <laughs> it's just a well-done movie. That's what. That's why it will stand the test of time. And, you know, 20 years from now, people will still be, you know, watching it. Also, uh, there's a Buzzcock song in there, so I'm good. <laughs> yeah. The ever, soundtrack ever is amazing, though. Yeah. They really pulled it, it off. And I think, I feel like that was, because DreamWorks, you know, was working kind of to, not working, they had already pretty much, differentiated themselves from Disney, but they were different in that they weren't afraid either uses of adult humor and pop culture references. And I think that really, I mean, they not only use that, but I think that really kind of gives a different feel to their movies. Like mm-hmm. as a kid, maybe you're watching something that, that makes you feel a little bit more mature. And in that way, like maybe a film kind of respects you in that light, respecting children. That's kind of a weird way to put it, but it's just like, it doesn't treat you like a baby, like Disney does sometimes, you know? It's ironic that you say that, because do you know what beat this movie for the Oscar? Ooh, for animated film? Mm Mm-hmm. What year was it It was a week. 2004, it was a thing year. There were only three nominees. Oh, shit. So it has to be Disney. Oh, I really want to guess this one. I don't know when was it. It was Pixar, right? A Pixar yep. film beat mm-hmm. it. Was it The Incredibles? That's exactly right. Oh shit! I got it. I don't even know when The Incredibles was released. Okay, that's fair enough though. The Incredibles deserved it. <laughs> and do you know what the other nominee was? No. It was Shark Tales. Oh Jesus Christ! That's how you know it was a thin year. That movie sucked. <laughs> Shark Tale was also a huge part of my formative year. It's still not any good, though. <laughs> no, like, that's that's a good point, though, like, differentiating, you know, good usage of pop culture references and adult humor and just that okay. whole kind of vibe that DreamWorks based their kind of, their their brand on in comparing Shrek and Shark Tales. Like, Shark Tale yeah. is a very inconsequential movie. I don't yeah, think I got anything from it really other than like 
Angelina Jolie was in it, and I named my pet fish after her when I was, like, five, and that was pretty much it. I don't go back to that movie at all and be like, oh, my gosh, this movie was so great or so funny or whatever. It was just kind of like, you know, keys you dangle in front of your kid to keep their attention for however long. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. You're not More props to Shrek. More props to Shrek, too. Shrek and... Um, my next one is just celebrated its 10th anniversary. It came out July 13th, 2010. Its budget was 160 million, and it made 829.9 million, and that is the unbelievably amazing Oscar-nominated Inception. Oh yeah, nice. This thing changed the game in so many different ways. Hmm. Should That's we start with the fact? Should we start with the fact that every soundtrack now wants to sound like Hans Zimmer? You're right. Every soundtrack and every track. Which is horrible. <laughs> I, hate, I hate it. Uh, did Inception also start the trend in trailers where, like, they repeat a sound over and over again throughout the trailer? Not just the blah, but, like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I think it might have. That trailer it was either amazing. that or Little Children. I'm not sure. That that's a that that trailer is amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, like the Inception soundtrack, Hans Zimmer, and collaborating with Christopher Nolan is obviously a wonderful mix. As yeah, you know, time has proven. Like one of my favorite soundtracks of all time is Interstellar, and I'm not even I, crazy about that movie. The movie's not that good, yeah, but the the soundtrack <laughs> is good. Uh, yeah, you're right. Amazing. You're right about that. Yeah. Yeah, um, what, I love it when it happens, about, though. Yeah, what's interesting about Inception is that um, when you look at it, uh, a lot of people don't realize, and, and it's right there in front of you when they explain it. People are always like, well, does the top, the, the top stop spinning or not? The top is inconsequential. It's actually a MacGuffin. Mm. Because as he explains, the top is not his totem. Oh. Right. It's his wife. Yeah. What does it mean? <laughs> well, the thing is, his totem, and if you'd like me to tell you, I, I can. Would you like to know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. His his totem is actually his wedding ring. Okay. So you can tell whether he's in a dream or not because he has his wedding ring on. Yeah. That is your hint mm-hmm. as to how the ending of this movie is. Also, okay. the totem... Since it's his wife's totem, will not you know that's how he can kind of tell when his wife's around. Oh, okay. He's not that's checking so to see if he's in a dream. He's checking to see if she's around. That's so weird. This is my theory. I could be completely off on this, and if I am, everybody <laughs> I listening to this, uh, correct me in the comment section of wherever you're listening to this below, and yell at me and tell me what an idiot I am. But uh, I don't know. yeah, Inception still confuses me too. And like honestly, I'm just like, yeah, okay. I'm fine with that. <laughs> that hallway scene where Joseph Gordon-Levitt is fighting off the um, the subconscious security guard is yeah. amazing. It, it it's is amazing. Yeah. I just think Joseph like, Gordon-Levitt is amazing filmed. in that movie. Yeah. Amazing in that movie. That scene where he's like, uh, where he kisses uh, Ariane played by, uh, what's her face? Juno? What's her name? Oh, Ellen Page. Ellen Page. And she's like, he's like, okay, now we have to kiss. He's like, and he, and he basically tricked her into kissing him. Uh, I thought that was really funny. Yeah. It made me laugh. 
but I, I also think this is the only role in which Tom Hardy, and we'll get to that in, in, in later. So uh, that's a that's a hint as to what my not, my last pick is going to be. Uh, mm-hmm. This is one of the only times where Tom Hardy has like lines, <laughs> where he's speaking. Uh, and a lot of his roles, he's just kind of mumbling or doesn't have any lines or grunty. Uh, <laughs> grunting, yeah. Even like <laughs> even like his Capone that he just did. By the way, review impending. It's not good. Um, <sighs> No, it's bad. Don't see. It. Oh man, it's really bad. Uh, you'll see the review soon. It's coming up. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's one of the times where he has lines. He has one of the best lines in the movie, where uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's shooting the gun at the guy and he can't hit him. He's like, "You simply must dream bigger, darling." And he literally hits him with a rocket launcher. <laughs> yes, it's so good. He plays yeah. a gay uh, forger, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tom Hardy's great in that movie. And Leonardo DiCaprio is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Pretty much as always. Mm. As always, yes. Yeah. He's like uh, really just, consistent now, which is cool. Yeah. I just think that uh, Inception is such a damn good movie. And actually, what's funny about that is this is how long I've been doing this. I used to sporadically review movies on Facebook. You can actually find our Inception review on the website from 10 years ago. Yeah. Aw. Like yeah. when it first came out. Yeah. Awesome. I'm, I've been doing this a long time. But mm-hmm. when I first started, I was very sporadic. Until I got the website, I didn't consistently do it. Yeah. And but, now uh, look what it's become. It's grown into this thing, and I'm really happy with where we are. And so I want to thank every single person who's ever read anything that I've ever written. Yeah, um, honestly. Every single person who's ever yelled at me because my opinion, they thought my opinion was wrong. Every single person who's ever you know, hated or loved one of my opinions. Uh, if you follow us on social media or whatever, if you supported us over these times, uh, we appreciate that. And by the way, thanks to our $5 patron supporters, Charmaine, for continuing to try and support us. If you'd like to support us, go to our Patreon, uh, www.patreon.com slash films and reviews, and go ahead and donate. We have four different tiers. You can be in, you can be in the UA Bowl tier, which is $1. Um, why would you want to do that, though? <laughs> um, they're all named after famous directors and they increase in talent and quality as you go up. <laughs> there you go. Good all the, way to the Scor- <laughs> all the way to the Scorsese the, uh, hey. here, which is $20. Um, hey. hey. Um, <laughs> but definitely, definitely love Inception. I think it's a brilliant film. And I, it just, uh, it changed the game in a lot of ways. I, I, trailers are now yeah. made differently because of it. Soundtracks are made differently because of it. Films are made differently because of this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody can talk about the Dark Knight all they want. Dark Knight is great, but this is, for me, Christopher Nolan's magnum opus right here. Nice. Ooh, are you Would you agree with me? It? Uh, yeah, if it ever comes out. Oh, <laughs> it will. They keep I, uh, pushing it back because Nolan's a snob, you know? Yeah. Oh, uh, John David Washington? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think He's so. great. Let me look it up real quick. He's John great, me. by the way. Denzel's son, and obviously talent runs in the family. Wait, what? Really? Yeah, David Washington? Yeah, that's Denzel Washington's son. Oh, holy shit. I just got chills. Because, like, I yeah, saw yeah. him in Black Klansman, and I thought he was absolutely brilliant. I loved, I loved his performance. Like he, I finally watched he, it. Yeah? Yeah, it's so good. It's oh, it's so my good. God. Like, in Dallas, Adam Driver so is much. killer, too, though. Just everything about that movie is perfect. I have, yeah, it's absolutely perfect. 
Spike Lee's brilliant. Yeah. I actually started watching The Five Bloods. Have you seen it? Yeah. No, yeah. Uh, if you do finish before I do, uh, go ahead and type it up. Definitely. Yeah. I still need to finish it. Yeah, but so far, it's like, okay. Yeah. Because yeah. it's going to take you forever to get to that, because I watch movies chronology, chronologically, so. Oh, uh, okay. I'm still yeah. somewhere in May, and it's July, so I have a lot of questions to do. <laughs> so. Rip. Yeah, I'll have to finish that. Landon probably, I don't know if he wants to finish it with me, because it, it started getting kind of boring. And we were like, okay, we can see where this is going. Basically, it's a treasure hunt film. Or is it, though? Or is it? Because Yeah, maybe, maybe it'll it's change. It's Spike you know? Subvert expectations. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm waiting for. And, like, it, so far, it really pairs well with Black Landon in that it goes over history a lot. That's kind of Spike Lee's niche where he talks a lot about history and african-american history and filmmaking and films and stuff which is really cool um and i really love that aspect about his movies it's just the characters right now they're just like these random people who you're supposed to care about i don't know i still need to give the film time so it's so funny because when i think of when i think of spike lee i think of immediately a guy who i think pairs well with him uh, Mm -hmm. even though spike has more talent and that is quentin tarantino yeah, I, I think it's Spike is a more talented black version of Tarantino. <laughs> I or should we say Tarantino like is a, a white black less version. talented version of Spike Lee? Uh, I know. I mean, I could I could see them being in the kind of the same like group of filmmakers. They kind yeah. of come from the same era. That of, Miramax the era of indies. Yeah, the yeah. Miramax era exactly. Um, but yeah, they're definitely very distinguished, distinctive filmmakers. But I can I can see what you're talking about in that their filmmaking style is very like yeah. kind of pulpy and yep. kind of action based and a lot of creative editing and stuff. Spike is so see that. good. He's so good. Yes. What is it about these directors named Spike? You know? I can think of two. <laughs> yeah, and they're both brilliant. Great. Absolutely. Have you, yeah, uh, yeah, I just love watching everything made by a guy named Spike. Yeah. Do you know there's a new documentary, <laughs> speaking of Spike, by Spike Jones on the Beastie Boys? Oh, yeah. I think Landon watched that, actually. Did he? I'm going to watch it. It's on Apple TV Plus. So. Yeah. He loves the Beastie Boys, and he loves Spike Jones, so he had to. I, I, I mean, He's I'm more, watch morally it. obligated. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not huge on the Beastie Boys, but I love Spike Jones. So. Yeah, I, I like more, think it was pretty good. Pretty good. More than people, more than more, more than most people, I love Spike Jones. I do. Yeah. He's my favorite. He's my favorite. Yeah. He. Oh my gosh, we did like dedicate an entire episode just talking about everything Spike Jones because guys, episode six. Yes. Okay. Idea. Because he's made <laughs> so many things other than just movies too. Yeah. And it like boggled yeah. my mind. Like next thing I know, like I'm watching a music video and I'm like, wow, this music video is really great. What do you know? It's directed by either Paul Thomas Anderson or Spike Jones. All of the best music videos from the 90s are directed by Spike Jones. Exactly. All of them. Praise You by Fat Boy Slim, Weapon of Choice by Fat Boy Slim, Buddy Holly by Weezer. Mm-hmm. Sweater. Wait, what? The Sweater Song. Also no, Buddy Holly, too. Yeah, both of them. 
Yeah. Dude, yeah. what the hell? This dude is just ridiculous. Oh, like, he also did It's So So Quiet for Bjork. He did Sabotage by the Beastie Boys. Yeah. Oh, I love that music video. Oh, my God. Yeah. We've got to stop. we got to, like, push this to the next episode. <laughs> yeah. We're going to do that. So, guys, if you're Spike Jonestown like I am, uh, and you love him as much as I do, stay tuned for episode six when we talk about all his all his shit. All of it. Yeah. So or fun. if you want to be, like, introduced to more of his stuff, because he, yeah. he does documentaries, shorts, commercials. He does He's dance brilliant. films. Which is amazing. Music videos. Uh, yes. Yeah. He's he's been on Jackass. He's been yes. on Bad Grandpa. He plays he's Bad Grandma. He plays yes. Bad Grandma. It was like, oh my god. He's amazing. <laughs> we gotta talk about that. He's that dude, okay. and I, I can't wait to talk about it. Look, so let's get to your last pick, and it's probably the best pick on this list. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I I go with that. I think it is you know, critically in all aspects, the better film out of my list. And that is Jurassic Jurassic Park. So it's me. also the most financially successful one. Came out June eleventh, nineteen ninety three on a sixty three million dollar budget. It made are you ready for this number? Go for it. Nine hundred and twelve point six million dollars on a sixty three million dollar budget. Yes. Wow. Holy crap. Yes. That makes me happy. Now, I was six years old when this movie came out. So I was the correct age to see Jurassic Park and be obsessed with dinosaurs for the next eight years. There you go. And be traumatized a little bit. No, no traumatized. No. No. I I love dinosaurs. Oh, my God. When I saw that... I think I saw it really young too. Obviously, like it didn't come out when I was really young, but I was introduced to it when I was really young. And um, it is a little creepy. It was a little intense, but it's like one of those movies when you're a kid. It's like one of those. It's one of those movies you're allowed to see for whatever reason when you're a kid. And it's like it's really epic. It's just overall an epic movie. The cast is amazing. Oh my god, Jeff Goldblum is iconic. He is. His fucking glasses and his fucking like, what? What even was he wearing? It was like a black open shirt or a button up. Yeah, his shirt was always fucking open. He was kind yeah. of like the, I don't know. He was like, uh, what? What's that? Do you know that character's name in the Iron Giant? Like the beatnik guy? No, but he's like this. To me, he's like this nerdy scientific Adonis. Adonis. I don't know, but he's just like, he's all about science and stuff and logic, but at the same time, like, he's Jeff Goldblum, and he has this, like, cool, like, this cool cat image or whatever, and it's, like, it's it's kind of random when I think about it, but it works so well, and it makes his character so distinct and lovely. I don't know. It's just so great. Sam Neill is in it. There's that iconic image of Laura Dern's eyes just going huge when she first arrives in Jurassic Park. Yeah. I wonder that is an if, like, image. I wonder how the the process behind making that scene was. Like, if Steven, like, I don't know, did anything to where they would get that reaction, like, how they did that, or if that's just her acting. I can believe it, but, like, I wonder if there are any stories like that in the movie. Or the turd scene. I love the turd scene. 
there's so many good uh, lines in that movie. Yeah. Like, uh, all major theme parks have delays. When they opened Disneyland in 1956, nothing worked. And he's like, yeah, but when the Pirates of the Caribbean breaks down, the pirates don't eat the tourists. <laughs> there you go. Clever girl, all of it. There's so many good <laughs> lines. Clever girl. Clever girl. Uh, there's so, so many good lines in this thing, man. Yeah. Uh, what it's, is it? And, and, and Goldblum has most of the good ones. Like, God creates dinosaurs, God destroys dinosaurs. God creates man, man destroys God. Man creates dinosaur. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, basically everything that comes out of his mouth is instantly like a quotable. quotable. That's, one huge, that's one huge pile of shit. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so good. Oh, and it, it really does make you care for the dinosaurs. It makes you scared yeah. of them, but also like when you see that poor like Tyrannosaurus Rex having a tummy ache next to the big old pile of shit, you're just like, oh, I hope Tyrannosaurus Rex ends up okay. And <laughs> there's like there's so much awe that comes from that movie, and it doesn't. Not a lot of movies have that effect. And I think Steven Spielberg, at least in the 20th century, was an expert at making movies that just put you into this state of awe, in the state of wonder. It's like you wanna, special effects still hold up pretty great. Yeah. Um, and just they're just so epic. You want to know the most amazing thing about Spielberg in the, during this time? Mm-hmm. So he didn't put out just one movie in '93. He put out two. Do you what know what the other one was? Uh, give me a hint. Well, it's probably the saddest movie ever made. Okay, Schindler's List. Yeah. I was about to say Holocaust. <laughs> yeah. So. Yep. He put okay, out Schindler's is- List in the same year that he put out Jurassic Park. How? Do you know how amazing that, that is? How does that work? How? How did he film those? Like, subsequently, maybe there was a delay or something? I don't know. Well, I think that Jurassic Park took forever to put out because it had all the special effects. Yeah. How does one put out two iconic feature films in one year? I don't know. (laughs) Especially in the 90s. Yeah. Well, you know what's even, like, more interesting than that? Hmm. So in 94, uh, in 93, he put out those. This was coming off of Hook, and then he did Amistad after that, and The Lost World. Oh, this okay. Is hitting it out of the park in the 90s. Yeah. I wonder I wonder what happened. I, I guess directors just get tired, but they have to keep making bank or something. Well, I mean, even his most recent stuff isn't that bad. Like, Ready Player One isn't good, but... Uh, the post isn't bad, and the BFG isn't bad. Oh yeah, I forgot about the BFG. I forgot he even yeah. directed the BFG, which yeah. is kind of like, bad. Bri- but like Bridge of Spies is decent, and Cl- and Lincoln's amazing. I still need to see Lincoln. I know. I it's feel really, now really I'm long. still thinking about the BFG and like what would happen if it was made back when Hook and. Labyrinth and the Dark Crystal were a big thing, and practical effects were still a big thing. I think it would have been a, an amazing movie if it were made yeah. like 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, I think so too. But the CGI just it takes you out of it. It was. It looks fucking. No, no offense to special effects, honestly, but like it looked creepy to me. Yeah, it did, and I think that 
um, he has the opposite problem with Ready Player One, where there was too much special effects. Yeah. There's just, like, so much going on. And he actually has a movie coming up. He has West Side Story coming up, and I don't know if that film's even going to come out. Wait, so they're remaking West Side Story? Yes. Okay, that'll be... I'm actually not against that, because I'm not... In all honesty, I'm not a huge fan of uh, the original West Side Story. Yeah. I thought the singing was kind of annoying. I love the choreography, because I love the choreographer. I forget his name. But yeah. I love his stuff. I love his work, and I think it worked really well in West Side. Well, but... there's a there's a huge problem at the top of the cast list there. Yeah, exactly. That too. Just like yeah. eh. Although I, when people I are hardcore it, putting on accents and like, oh, uh, okay. Well, not even that, but like Ansel Elgort is in it. Okay. And he's been canceled. So. He has. Yes. Wait, what did he? What did he get canceled over? I'm going to give you the exact word verbiage here. Also, I would like to say that the iconic role of Anita, which was originally by um, who did that? Anita, who played Anita? I, it's it's slipping my mind, but she won the Oscar for it. Uh, yeah. I don't know either. Uh, 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 Rita Moreno. Rita Moreno. So the iconic oh. role of Anita, played by Rita Moreno originally, is actually being played by. Um, by Ariana DuBose, and she was actually in Hamilton. Oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah. I super so, like that. Like, someone who already has, like, a background in Broadway and yeah. stage theater stuff. Everyone comes in America. <laughs> <laughs> so he is being accused of sexually assaulting a 17-year-old girl. Oh! Well, how old was he? Not that... 26. That- it really matters. Ew. Okay. So sexual assault. That's gross. He was 26, so that's even grosser. That's not good. She's he's five foot two, 98 pounds. He's like six one. Jesus. Okay, that's not good. And he's being canceled. That's not good. Oh my gosh, they're gonna replace him like they did. Um, like they replaced Kevin. <laughs> Kevin Spacey. Christopher <laughs> <laughs> what if they just replace Ansel Elgort with Ke- Christopher Plummer? I would love that. Oh, my God. I just, like, make his face onto Ansel Elgort. Like, make Ansel Elgort do all the work, but just put his face on it. Could you imagine him singing, I just met a girl named Maria. Yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) Please, God, let me have this. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. Ironically, this is not, that would not be the first time that Christopher Plummer was in a musical. Do you know what musical he was in previously? Nope. No idea. The hills are alive with the sound of music. Oh, okay. It's been so long since I've seen that movie. Yeah, he played Mr. Von Trapp. Mr. Von Trapp. Okay. That is a good movie. Yeah, West Side Story is going to be problematic. Um, I don't know what they're going to do about it, but uh, yeah. I, I just offered the perfect solution. So I don't know why they would not do that. Deep, hashtag deep fake Christopher Plummer's face on Ansel Elgort. <laughs> make it happen. Oh my that would God. make all the scenes with Rachel Ziegler's Maria much weirder. Yeah. Yeah, because he's uh, like 85 years old, so. Oh, God. <laughs> now, I'm, now I'm starting to fear for this movie's life. Yeah, it's it's probably going to be a oh weird boy. situation. But yeah, back to Jurassic Park. Uh, <laughs> one of the greatest, one of the greatest movies ever made. Amen. Period. It's amazing. Period. It's 
it, it, it gives you that sense of wonder that a blockbuster should. It's well made. It's well structured. I think it's one of Spielberg's most unique experiences. I agree. It's never going to uh, be replicated, no matter how hard they try. Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. we saw you try Jurassic World. We saw you try. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That second one's mm-hmm. terrible, by the way. Yeah, I don't even bother with the sequels, honestly. I just oh, don't. Oh, Lost World's good. Yeah. Yeah, Lost World's good because it's still Spielberg. So. Okay. I don't know. Oh, I'm yeah, they got they got it, Maddie Ziegler in this thing. thing. Huh? Maddie Ziegler. She's in a West Side Story. Uh, wait. What did Maddie Ziegler do? She sounds familiar. I want to scream from the shadows here. Oh my God! Yeah. Good for yeah. her. Yeah. Oh, she's a she's want... a woman now, you know. Yeah. Good for her. Now I really now I wanted to work out. I just want them to like beat fake Ansel Elgort. That'll be great. Yeah. Because that's be really awesome. cool. Like I love that they're incorporating like actual musical and like dance people because yeah. the dancing was really the only part that stuck out to me. West Side Story, and I love like I said, I love the choreographer. Let me look up his name so I could actually give a name to him. What side? Yeah. Story. And while you do that, I'm going to tell the people what my last pick is. Do it. My final it's Jeremy pick Robbins. <laughs> Jeremy May Robbins. 5th. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, Jeremy Robbins, great great choreography, especially during the Jizz song. That song, is, yeah. that, that uh, dance is amazing. And it's actually the catalyst for the bad video for Michael, for Michael Jackson. Oh. Uh, oh, yeah. My last movie came out May 15th, 2005. So it came out five years ago. Mm. It is also, it's funny, we go from the highest grossing movie as far as, you know, budget to, to gross mm-hmm. to the lowest grossing budget to gross movie. Budget of $185 million, only made $375.2 million. Oh, wow. Um, and it is Mad Max Fury Road. Really? This movie is amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. I thought it made more, though. No, it did not. No, wow. $375.2 million. Uh, huh. Great film. If you have not seen it, you should. What do you think of Mad Max Fury Road? I think it's pretty. <laughs> it's, it's pretty. Real pretty. Of the, the action scenes and um, how they're directed. Yeah, it's pretty much it. Uh, it's like a nice, classy, pulpy watch for me. Yeah, it's like it's a it's a nice thing to like cuddle up to with a with a cup of hot cocoa, <laughs> you know, and just watch a bunch of explosions go off. So. What I love is this thing was this thing won six Oscars and was nominated for ten. Yeah, there you go. All the ones that it won were technical Oscars too: editing, film right. editing, costume design, hair and makeup, sound mixing, sound editing, and production design. Which honestly is fair. Like, yeah. six, six Oscars is a lot, but I think it's yeah. fair because it, it's definitely, its strongest suit is definitely its technical advantages and its technical, no. I don't know what else to call it. You know what I'm talking about. If I'm being honest about this, if I'm being fair, I would say that there's one other Oscar that probably should have won. Mm. What's that? Best picture. Best picture. Ooh. Wait, what won that year, though? So. Uh, if you'll give me a moment, I will let you know. Okay. Let's see. Oh, I got a burp. 
Please don't do that. She's done it. You've gone and done it. She went and did this. You, you see what I'm dealing with, guys? This is the crap I have to deal with. With her. <laughs> to deal with her crap. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. So the other nominees were Room, The Revenant, oh. The Martian, Brooklyn, Ridge of Spies, The Big Short, and the winner was Spotlight. Spotlight? Mad <laughs> Max is better than all of those movies. Okay, I'll go for that. I thought Spotlight was an all right movie. I don't it's know if right. it was like, it's, I think it was kind of compensation considering yeah. all the sexual abuse and pedophilia that goes on in Hollywood, period. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're woke. I guess that's just what the Academy does anyway. Is that the, is that the same reason that uh, Moonlight beat La La Land? Um... I can't say. I haven't seen La La Land all the way through. And I love Moonlight. I think Moonlight is a brilliant movie. See, I don't. I don't think it's that good. <gasps> I'd love it. I don't yeah. know if it's... I don't know what it has versus La La Land. La La Land has the, the spectacle, I know, and yeah, the choreography exactly. and the singing. But I don't know. Like, it might just be, like... Then again, I haven't seen it all the way through. So I can't really speak on that. But Moonlight, for me, it was just, like... I love that it was a simple kind of love story, but it also had interwoven, like, socio-political commentary. It wasn't even that political. Never mind. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. I'm going to say something controversial. Oh, my God. Do it. I think it's one of the weaker A24 films. (gasps) What? Not Slice? (laughs) Yeah. Slice is the worst. That thing's terrible. I know. I know. I'm just joking. Slice is obviously the worst A24 film probably ever made. Yeah, it's, bad. it's really bad. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't watch it all the way through. Yeah. It was just like, oh, my God. I think I like I think I like Spring Breakers more than Moonlight. Really? Yeah. You like it more than Moonlight? I just, it didn't click with me. It didn't click wow. with me. I mean, I uh, guess I that's fair enough. Like it, thought it was it, too boring me, and long. I can kind of see that. For me, it's just like, it's more of kind of a sensory experience and it's short and it's about romance and you know the obstacles that prevent them from pursuing it at first or whatever so yeah you know to each own this is not to take away from the direction though that yeah it's absolutely so well directed oh my god but if it's anything barry jenkins's film after that i could not watch past the first act like, the music, he's really good at using music in his film or, you yeah. know, using the right composer. But other than that, mm. I was like, this film is bad. And Landon, you know, for those of you who don't know, I keep mentioning my boyfriend. Um, he's also in the industry. He's an actor. And um, he was watching the movie with me because we were moving hopping, movie hopping or whatever, honestly. And he was like, the acting is not good. And it was very much uh, one of those movies where they took a screenplay that was trying to mirror the facets of a theater, basically, and that translated that translated into the movie, and it also affected the acting. So it felt very stiff. It felt like we were watching something that was supposed to be on the stage, 
Um, and it still ended up getting nominated for, um, what was it? Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress for Regina King, I think. Yeah, she won, yeah. actually. Yeah, nothing against her or whatever. I just could not stand the acting. And you're talking about if Beale Street could talk. Yeah, yeah, that's the movie. And, uh, yeah, I'll listen to the soundtrack any day, but I could not get through that movie. It was just too boring. I uh, I, I did watch it, finally. Uh, didn't like yeah. it. <laughs> there we go. It's not yeah, no, it's one, not for no me. one ended up talking about that movie. Everyone was just like, I never hear anyone talk about that movie ever. It just kind of disappeared, but the Academy was still all for it. It did not so get nominated for Best Picture, though. No, which it shouldn't have, but I don't know. It, it, it would have been better than the picture that won, though, that year. Uh, oh, right. The Oscars have been such a shit show. That was, I can't even remember the name, but it was the Queen movie. Nope, it was not. Wait, that didn't win? Oh, Green Book. Yep. Oh, that's why, because I repressed memories from that year. Because <laughs> you, your favorite movie of that year was The Favorite, so. It was The Favorite, and it was Black Klansmen, which were yeah. incredibly strong contenders. I don't know why Green Book was in there. It was such a Hallmark movie. I really but liked I guess... A Star is Born, so. Oh, yeah, A Star is Born was in there, which, I, I mean, as I far like. as the list went for um, Best Picture that year, it wasn't bad. It's a, solid, it's a good, solid movie. It's a really good musical. Bohemian Rhapsody should not have been in there at all. No, not at all. I mean, you give Robbie Malik, you know, his Oscar nom or whatever, but like that, no. Yeah, nomination. <laughs> he shouldn't have won. Bradley Cooper should have won. Uh, I'm actually okay with Bradley Cooper not winning because I thought Bradley Cooper did a really good job directing, and yeah. as for his performance, he was kind of giving the pedestal more towards Lady Gaga, which was right, amazing. I love that. Can he- we tell you? Can we tell you? Can I tell you why I think he should have won? Why? Robbie Malik won for lip syncing to Queen badly. Bradley Cooper learned how to play <laughs> guitar, sing, and direct a movie. Yeah, I guess so. But that's more on par with like the the musical performance rather than the core performance. I don't the know. The performance is good too. You can feel the emotion between him and uh, him and Sam uh, Elliott, who also got nominated for supporting. Actor. Yeah, it is still a really good performance. I don't know. I'm still like I'm not vouching for Bohemian Rhapsody either, but I thought Robbie Malik. It's also one of those like transformative performances that are really hard to do. Um, and I think yeah. his casting was all right. I think it worked. The, the movie yeah, didn't but, work, but in theory, yeah, the his casting bad. worked. Yeah. We it's we can all agree that they almost that, that I I don't think they got best actress right, but I know you do with Olivia Coleman for the yeah. favorite. Yeah. I would have gave it to I Gaga. Think, uh, um, I think she did do a really good job. I don't know. I think she deserved her nomination. I really do. Yeah. But she Olivia did. Coleman, I also think Olivia Coleman deserved it. I'm but, not mad about um, it. She she was brilliant in the favorite. She's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, other than Emma Stone, I love Rachel Weisz, but I think her and Emma Stone really carried most of the emotional turmoil in that movie. Yeah, but I think that's what helped Regina King win is that they kind of 
you know, cannibalized each other in the nominations. I guess so. But that doesn't even make any sense. Like, you think the more nominations from a movie, from the same movie, would give it a stronger probability that... Not in the same category, though, because then you split the vote. I guess so. But, like, I mean, it's happened before. Like, there have been two Best Actresses before. I can't remember what year. Oh, it was when Katherine Hepburn won Best Actress for Lion in Winter. And I think she shared that um, Oscar with um, Barbara Streisand, maybe, that year? I can't quite remember. But they've done it before. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah. Because I know you're you're right about the first half of that. Yeah. Yeah. I like. I know for a fact that you're right about that. So I'll I'm looking be so at the happy if I'm half. right about Streisand. <laughs> I'm uh, like, wow. You said Lion in Winter, right? Yes. You know what year that was? 1970. Um, Here it is. So, 1968, Catherine Hepburn won for Lion in Winter, and shit was tied with. Guess who? Barbara mm. Streisand for Fall hey. Girl. Hey. Nailed it, dude. Nailed Yay! It. I did it. It was Funny Girl. I think. Yeah, it was Funny Girl. It's great. It's Funny Girl. Great. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've seen that. Yeah. But I don't know. Catherine Hepburn had won the Oscar the previous year too. So. <laughs> hey, wait. What did you hit it for? Guess who's coming to dinner? Yeah. Oh wow! I wish. I guess that, but at the same time, like, eh, good for her, I guess. <laughs> I mean, she you want to know the crazy it. part? She won a third Oscar in '81. She did? Or on Golden Pond. Okay, I have not seen that one. It's good. You can see it's her. She's an amazing actress, though. And uh, it's her and uh, Peter Fonda. Mm, Okay. Yeah, or Henry Fonda. I'm sorry. Henry Fonda. Um, And Jane Fonda's also in it. Oh, wow. That's cool. That was crazy. You nailed that, dude. You nailed the 1968 (laughs) Oscar. I know some things. Oh, you know some things, do you? I do. In That's fact, cool. what won Best Picture that year? What year? 1968. 68. Yeah. Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I said I know some things, not all the things. Will it was? It was Oliver. Sorry, sorry. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, funny about that. Oliver's rated G, right? It's the only rated G movie to win an Oscar. The it's movie that really- won the next. Yeah, the the movie that won the next one is the only rated X movie to win the Oscar, 1969. Really? What was it? No. Midnight Midnight Cowboy. Really? Uh-huh. Well, I, I guess at the same time, it was also back then, and centers yeah. were, like, really on it. Oh, yeah. Or, actually, no, they, they were, but they weren't. Yeah, and like, I thought, I, don't know. I, I, I think they got Best Actor wrong that year. I thought that uh, Dustin Hoffman should have won. Or John Voight. But again, this goes back to my point. They cannibalized each other, and John Wayne stuck (laughs) in and and stole the Oscar from him. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck John Wayne. (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) No, I'm saying, like, like, fuck that dude, man. No. I don't like that guy. I like his movies, though. I can't lie. They're good. I think I've only (laughs) ever seen one movie of his. Is it The Searchers? Because that's the only one you need to see. I saw Stagecoach, which was a good one. Stagecoach is good. Okay, that's yeah. fair. I still so, need to see The Searchers. Those are our four picks for Summer Blockbusters. Is there anything besides Palm Springs that you would recommend that they check out uh, as we leave them? Oh, my God. 
I don't know. Uh, I have been watching a lot of off movies. Not even a lot. I've just been watching a movie here and there, but none of them. New releases. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's it. Well, I am going to suggest a movie we saw at the very same festival as Palm Springs, the Sundance Film Festival here in 2020, right before the shit hit all of the fans. And it is a documentary on Netflix called Mucho Mucho Amor. Check that out right now. That shit is dope. There we go. That's now, a good recommendation. Where can people find you today if they want to follow you or not follow you in, in one case? <laughs> All right. So y'all can follow me on my personal Instagram at redshoes99. I am also a freelance artist, if you don't already know, but I say it every episode anyway. Um, my Instagram handle is at redshoes underscore art blues. Um, I do a lot of comic stuff, character design, just random stuff overall. And I'm going to get a store up soon, so that's exciting. You can also read all my articles on the site, filmsnobreviews.com. Don't follow me on Facebook. I'm not there. Don't look me up. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's about it. Quill. So when you do look her up, it's Shay spelt like chai. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, you can too many see- edgy memes. <laughs> All the edgelord memes. Uh, <laughs> you can follow me at Twitter, Instagram, uh, Tumblr, whatever the fuck, at Film Snob Reviews. Uh, I have a personal Instagram, which is The Love Song Writer. If you want to follow me there. Um, also, on Facebook, you can look me up by my real first and last name. Good luck finding that. Uh, it's on the website. Go ahead and do it. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't post mm-hmm. any edgy memes. I literally just put screen, screen uh, what's that website? Screenplay? I just post yeah. it all the time. That's yeah, you do. Stuff. <laughs> um, I have to. They push good shit. Um, yeah. But yeah, check out the website, filmsnobreviews.com. Make sure you like and share this all over the internet. Uh, follow us on YouTube as well, Reviews. We need to get to a thousand followers so they'll start giving us money. Yeah. Um, make sure you watch all of our videos. And we have we always put our interviews, and I have the great top five series for musicals of each decade uh, that I personally have fun talking about. Uh, if you want to, you know, give us shit, um, you can follow us in all those places. <laughs> Tell us how much we suck and uh, love us. Also, if you have Letterboxd, Film Sound Reviews, follow us. We are the dopest. We are um, everywhere. You can't yes. avoid us. You we can't. are. The we new, are the air. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. We are the new <laughs> breed or whatever. It's <laughs> from the Cronenberg movie. Uh, right, we, we love you. We'll see you. We are the new flesh. There it is. We'll see you guys later. Uh, bye. Bye.